I want to talk this morning about no limits, no limits. And interestingly enough, some of the things you, you spoke, Ty, we're going to refer back to a couple of those things. I, I don't usually, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but years ago, I was talking to one of our young men, and he had told me about this Bible study that he was going to, and I thought it was called Next Level. And I said, how's your Bible study going? How's Next Level? And he goes, no, Lena, it's not called Next Level. It's called No Limits. And so somehow the NL, I just got confused, and I'm like, oh, okay. But the truth is, you have to get to the place where you put no limits on God before you can get to the next level. <laughs> so they go together. And I know that there is not a person in this room who thinks that somehow in their own little self, they can wield the power or the influence it takes to put a limit on God. Now, I don't want to ruin this song for you. But, you know, we sing this song, Who Can Stop the Lord Almighty? And so, you know, they'll say, Who Can Stop the Lord Almighty? And then Alan will go, Who Can Stop? You know, what, am I singing it way off? It, Lion and the Lamb is the name of it. Okay, but to me, it's Who Can Stop the Lord Almighty? All right. <laughs> and so, and then Alan will go, Who Can Stop? And all the rest of you are singing and raising your hands, but in my mind, I'm going, We can. And, 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 and like every time he goes, And Who Can Stop? And I'm like, we can, because I have seen people do it hundreds of times. See, I've seen them do it. Now, now, see, if you don't want to stop the Lord, nobody can stop the Lord in your life. See, if you agree with God, everything he has for you will come to pass. But you, you, all by yourself, little old you, can stop God from working in your life. And so next time we sing, just forget I said that and just move along. It's like we can't exactly picture ourselves saying, no, God, I'm sorry, you won't be doing that today. Or, God, you know, I'm not ready for that. It is, hold off for a while. I'm going through some stuff, and it is, it's not a good time for me. But we put up spiritual barriers in our heart, and we are familiar with limits in a natural realm. We understand limitations in the natural. There was a time when travel, just getting from one place to another, was limited to horseback, then trains, then planes, some planes. Space travel was inconceivable at one time. And then limits that once existed, though, they've been erased. And the level of travel has gone from one level to another to another entirely. And now we have people signing up for their own little space trips. And then as limits are erased, new levels come into existence. Do you remember the first mobile phones? Is anybody old enough to remember the first mobile phones? Easy had one. Okay, when he was flying high, he, he had one. And when we were getting ready to get married and I was cleaning out all this stuff from the house, I go, what is this suitcase? And it was like a small attache case. And he goes, well, that's one of the first mobile phones. I mean, one of the, the politicians in Texas were trying to buy it off me, and I wouldn't let him have it. And it was a suitcase, people, a hard shell attache case. You'd open it up, and there was a phone inside it. And that was a phone. And so only a few people had them. And then a few people had huge handsets in their car, but it was attached to the console. Remember, it was attached. Some of you are too young to even know this. Then later, the limits on technology changed, and every year we saw such change that then a few years ago, we had like five people all sitting in a car, all on a all on cell phone, littler than like the size of half a deck of cards or something. But then that couldn't text, and that didn't have like a computer, you know, a capability. So then now, they've gone a little bit bigger, but you're really carrying your own little computer with you everywhere you go. But there was a time 30 and 40 and 20 years ago, some of this would have been inconceivable. So limits come off. And when limits come off, levels come up. 
And so whoever thought we'd operate at the levels of internet communication that are now just normal to every first grader. Uh, I remember when we were unpacking here, one of the little young kids, we were unpacking boxes and Alicia was unpacking with Sandra and there were some cassette tapes and one of the kids goes, what are those? And so, <laughs> and we were limited even five and 10 years ago in ways we are not now, but we have pressed past so many natural limits. We've broken all kinds of barriers. We're not even through yet. There's much more to come. But this same principle of pushing past limits must be applied in the spiritual realm. See, we've got to do this in the spiritual realm. We must erase the limits that we somehow carnally. Now, I say carnally because there are things that we're just used to, the way we think, the way man thinks, the normal, logical way. I'm an extremely logical person. But anything God says can totally override anything logical about me. Because supernatural is going to beat natural every time. And so we must erase the limits that we carnally have come to view as normal because they don't only limit us, they limit God. They limit God. Matthew 8, 16. Jesus was doing all these miracles in Capernaum. I'm not going to read it. We're a little short on time. But it said every, he healed everyone there. He healed them all. You flip over a few chapters. Matthew 13, 58, Jesus is Nazareth. It says he could do no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Same man, same power, same ability, but there was limitation put on what he could do because of them. Now, Jesus hadn't changed. He didn't lose his anointing. God's will had not changed. It wasn't any different. He wanted to do the same thing he did in Capernaum in Nazareth, but it says he could not. He was limited. The Bible clarifies it was because of their unbelief. But we think, phew, I'm okay. I'm okay then because I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I believe. But do you understand how many times I'm talking to myself? We're in agreement with a theory. We mentally assent to a concept. We recognize a premise to be true. But we have areas of agreement and disagreement warring on the inside of us at the very same time. We agree it's true, we think the premise is right, we mentally assent, but on the inside, are we in total agreement? Now, here are some facts about faith. Faith rejoices and is glad. See, faith isn't worried. It's not worried that the thing's going to happen. It rejoices and is glad. Faith rests that it's already done. It's not stressed out. Faith wavers not at the promise of God, even if it takes some time. Faith holds on. Faith perseveres for the promise. You've got to have some perseverance. You can't be one of those wimps that like the littlest thing will knock you down and you can't get up. It takes perseverance to grab hold of the promises of God. But faith also without works is dead. Now, do you have to work it up and make it happen? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you keep listening, you'll know what I am talking about. Let's read Romans 4, 19 through 21. Speaking of Abraham and Sarah. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, Abram, already dead since he was about 100 years old, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. You said that today, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, Abraham did not consider the limitations of his body. He didn't look at them. 
He didn't think about them. He didn't try to analyze how this was going to work. He didn't try to figure it out. Instead, just focused on one thing, what God had said, what God had said. God said years ago, the second move of Generation Jesus would be greater than the first. When I saw Dan and Alicia, when I first saw them, I, saw, I thought they're the forerunners to this movement. And then when Easy saw Paul in Dallas, he goes, you're supposed to be with us, Paul. And see, there's, there's key people in Ariana. There's, there's key young people that God has brought. And we thought, okay, as soon as they came, all these young people would come like a parade after them because that's how it happened the first time. But the parade didn't come. But they're holding on, and we're holding on, and the revival is coming. And let me tell you, if you're a little bit older than 30 years old in this room, and there's a couple of us, this is how it works. There's zeal and there's wisdom. And they have zeal and we have wisdom, but we need more zeal and they need more wisdom. And you mix us all up together and it's exciting. You know, when there's a baby that's born in a, in a, in a house, everybody's happy. Grandma's happy, mama's happy, the baby loves it. It's a good thing for everybody. And so we're all going to have everything we need. The natural limitations of Abraham's body would say it's not possible. But God said it's possible. Abraham chose to believe God instead of his own body. Do you know that Easy was close to 60 years old when God said to us, sell your house, sell everything you have, your only asset, quit your business, pay everything you owe, and go into full-time ministry. Nearly 60 years old. Other people were getting ready to retire, and God had said, and you're getting ready to restart, and a whole new thing. We could have said, we're too old. We can't do that. It's crazy, because it was all those things. It's not economically feasible. It's not sensible. But we would have limited God by our unbelief. And then in 1995, God said, youth are coming. We didn't have one young person in the church. Nobody was between 11 and 30 years old. And God said, youth are coming. And Easy's like in his 60s. Then he's like 62 years old. And, and, and I'm like, this is crazy. I hope somebody's there to fool with them because I don't want to have anything to do with a bunch of kids. And when God said, youth are coming like a waterfall, we could have said, no, not a good plan, not the right age group. We could have limited God. And yet those youth are the preachers you're hearing today. <laughs> See, those youth became a mighty revival in Fort Bend County, and thousands and thousands of young people came to our outreaches over a period of time. And today I still hear from people who say, I got saved there. Those two met there, <laughs> got married. Now they're, they're creating their lineage. They're, they've worked for other ministries. But see, when these youth came in with shaved heads and spiked hair and pierced nipples and tattoos, we could have said, oh, no, not the right dress code, not, not our style. I mean, Easy used to, you know, have dress in nice suits, you know, tailor-made. We could have, what? They were our revival fires. They were the sparks for revival. And so we could have limited the unbelievable, unprecedented move of God that we experienced by our unbelief. Because while we want God to do limitless signs and wonders, we want him to do miracles, we have a very limited idea of how we want him to do it. Our thoughts and our ideas limit him. Our choices limit him. Our confession limits him. Mary was a young virgin, and an angel appears to her and says, you're going to bear a son, and, and you're going to call his name Jesus. Talking about looking past limitations. Mary had never been intimate with a man. But when God tells you something, you will have to look beyond, look past whatever is holding you back. Because whatever he promised, you can have. Whatever he promised, you can have. 
When the limits say you can't, you must press past them so you can. Even as Christians, see, we've imposed limits on ourselves. How God works, what he can do, what he will do. We must lift off these limits because there is another level where we can do greater works. See, greater works will you do than these. We are not at the greater works level, but we've got to take some limits off to get to that level so that we can reach higher in the things of the Spirit. See, we must take the limits off God and decide that His power is limitless. We must operate in faith, the kind we listed up on the screen. But because faith without works is dead, faith positions itself to receive the promise. See, there's a position you take. I don't mean on your knees. I don't mean your hands lifted high. I mean it's something in your heart where you are constantly in a state of expectation. You're ready. You're waiting. You don't know how it's going to come, when it's going to come. But boy, it's coming because God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. And so in a ball game, the one who receives the ball is the one who what? Positions themselves to catch it. They, they position themselves so that when the ball comes, they're ready. See, that's how we need to be in the spirit. When God had us plant the church and surrender to full-time ministry in 1993, it wasn't without some prior promises. See, there's a progression with God, and every step matters. And so God spoke in the 80s that we would be doing ministry in years to come. We thought, that's good. That makes sense. We'll be in business, and we'll go speak on weekends, and I'll teach my women's Bible studies. We got that. I'll speak at a few conferences. They, they give me nice fruit baskets. I stay at nice hotels. It's wonderful. You go in. You go out. Everybody loves you. There's no administration, Alicia. There's no cleaning the toilets. You know, you're just, it, the, the hotel takes care of it all. And so we had our idea of what that was going to look like. But then he spoke in 89 that we'd be in full-time ministry, and we were like, oh, no, no, that's not us. Wouldn't it the people on the other row? And then he spoke in 1990 we'd minister to non-traditional people. And we didn't know what that would be. And ones who hadn't been overrun by religion. But see, that was the young people, and he was preparing us without our realizing it. He was changing our mindset for what was coming. But we could have made choices that it would have not have put us in position to receive the promise. Now, let me tell you what that looks like, because this is real practical. See, this part is real practical. In 1989, some funds came our way, and we had been living in a house uh, in, in our same neighborhood on our same street, but um, because when... Easy lost everything. He owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. We had been paying off all that money, and we didn't have the money to furnish our house. And finally, those things were tended to, and some money came our way. And finally, I was going to get to decorate my house, which is just what women like to do, like fix it up, get some furniture, make it look nice. And I was walking around, and God said, don't put a thing on the wall. And he said, don't buy anything. In fact, start taking down the pictures off the wall that you have. And I was like, whoa. Now, there's nothing wrong with that desire to fix up your house. But he was trying to prepare me for what was to come. And if I just started spending that money on that, we'd have just had that much more stuff to get rid of when we sold that house and had to go on the road. You, he was preparing me in ways that I didn't totally understand. But, but little by little, every choice I made, without even understanding what he needed that for, prepared me for the next thing that was coming. Because the furniture would have been much deserved, very normal, nothing was wrong with it, but it wasn't best for the plan God had for us at that season. If God says, you're going to do a lot of missions next year, 
and I'm going to send you to several countries. You're sort of foolish to buy a couple of pets because then what are you going to do with them? Do you have money to board them for that long? You see, there's things you do preparing for the next step. There's ways you position your life for what is getting ready to come. Because sometimes faith says, go for it. I'm going to give you that. But sometimes because of faith, you let go of something. See, Kirk is teaching us amazing. I love our Kingdom Revolution class. And, and, and we're in a season where many people are believing for their car or their home or a better apartment. But sometimes God says, do you have enough faith to let go of something? Something you thought you wanted because it's not going to be a part of the plan I have for you? See, that's faith too. And so if God says you're going to be in full-time ministry, you don't just chase after every earthly ambition so that you get so distracted you miss the road signs and you miss the preparation he has for you. If God says you're going to make money to finance the kingdom endeavors, don't dare think it's going to happen if you can't even tithe on the little bit you're making now. If you have no generosity and you don't even want to give an offering for a children's box, but, you're, but, but I'm believing for God so I can bless the kingdom, are you blessing now? Before he trusts you with much, he wants to trust you with little. And so there's preparation times. We gave for kingdom things over and above our tithe when we didn't have furniture. The widow at Zarephath told Elijah, I don't have enough flour and I don't have enough oil to make food for you. She was limited, she thought, by her supply. But Elijah wasn't looking at his supply or her supply. He was looking at God's supply. And so the woman could have done it her way. I'm sorry, I have nothing for you. Or God's way. Or God's way. God said this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start with what I've got and make the most of it. And as I go, more comes. See, the woman made a choice to push past her limitations. When God told us we were going to do a stadium event, we were a church of like 80 people in 2,000 square feet. We easy didn't have an office. He sat in the children's room on those little chairs and at those little short tables. That's where he set up. We could have said, no, we can't. We go, okay, God, you said it. We believe it. And people, when 4,500 people showed up at our stadium event and 5,000 the next year, people go, what big church did this? We go, oh, it was us. <laughs> but it was God. But it was God. See, how do we limit God? How do we limit God? Easy after he was 70 years old. See, don't think that you got to sit back and do nothing after a certain age. After he was 70, I thought of this last night, Alan, I didn't really realize it before. After he was 70, he went to India four or five times. After he was 70, he did a mission trip to Ireland. After he was 70, he preached in Australia. After he was 70, he went to Argentina. Most of his mission trips were after he was 70. And you go, oh gosh, I'm 47 and I haven't even been on a mission trip yet. You got time. <laughs> See, there's no limit on when you can't go anymore. <laughs> and so how do we limit God? See, sometimes the limit seems so big in your life, but God says they're not even an issue. You're just making a big deal out of nothing. And sometimes we go, okay, we don't want to have limits because there's something we're believing for and we want it. But what about when it's something God wants? Just something God wants, something you never thought of, something that took you by surprise. Because I'll be clear, God will take you by surprise more than once along the way. And so if you look to your job as your source, you are limiting God. Now, I'm not saying your job is not a channel. I'm not saying don't work. But it's not your source. God is your source. Your job can only do so much. If you look at your physical strength or your stamina, it can change. It can change. 
And so if you're not in a good place, you can get in a better place. That is not your limitation. There are no limits with God. If you look at your age, there are no limits. If you consider your education or your lack thereof, people used to go, how can those young boys get up on that stage and preach? I go, because there's a preaching gift on them. They haven't been to seminary, and they don't have a degree in theology, and they don't know. I go, but 48 people got saved last night. Does that work for you? And so really, you know, Dan and Alicia went to Bible college. Good. But I don't know. if Like, did that help y'all? Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> No, it was, it was good, and there was a lot they learned. But you know what? There's just a lot you learn as you do what God tells you to do. Whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he tells you, do it. And so if you consider your present state, what things are like right now, you will limit God. If you look at your symptoms and make conclusions based on them, you will limit God. They are subject to change. Only as we agree with God and what he says about us, about what is possible, about what he can do, about his desires for us, about his destiny for us, can we position ourselves to receive these things? When we agree with God, then he can show himself strong on our behalf. And we're like, well, if he's strong, can't he do everything? But he needs your agreement because it's about you. And he's given you a free will. And you play a part in this. And you, you co-labor. You're co-partnering with him in his destiny for you. And so when we agree with God on what he says about salvation, what happens? We get saved. When we agree with God on any subject, when we are in such perfect harmony with him, there is a power available unlike the times when we're merely hoping, unlike the times when we merely wish what God said would come to pass. It puts us in a different plane entirely. The place of agreement is the place of power. I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million more. But we must quit limiting God by our worldly thoughts, our doubtful thoughts. We must agree with him and we must know that nothing is too hard for him. God agrees with his word. He's in perfect harmony with himself and what he has said. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Bible says these three agree. But the body, soul, and spirit, these three don't always agree. I believe in my spirit until my body starts having symptoms. I believe healing is right until I start having symptoms. I can believe healing is going to happen because you're sick, but when I start having symptoms, how, do I believe? Where am I? Or, or I believe until my mind has a thought, a thought. And the thought sounds like a right thought. Now, it's a lie from the devil, but since it came in my, inside my head, I think it's mine, and I embrace it. And it, it, it builds there, and it gets evidence that it's true, and it's all nothing but lies if it doesn't agree with the Word of God. And so I'm going to close with this. To the degree that we disagree with God or limit God, we diminish the potential of God's desires result in our life. To the degree that we disagree with God, we diminish the potential of God's desired result. So our job is to get ourselves lined up with God's word in our thoughts, in our words, in our choices, in our everyday practical choices. 
And when we are in agreement with God, there are no limits for the next level. I'm believing for a next level. Stand up with me. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you that today we did come into your throne room. We felt your presence, God, where the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. You are worthy. You are holy. And God, we agree with you. And any unholy thought in us, any thought in us that would limit you, that would, that would disagree with you, that would cause us to be out of harmony with you, God, we cast it down and we ask you to reveal it to us. Show us, God. Show us so that we can get it far from us. Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word sets us free. Your word brings joy and rejoicing. And so, Father, I just thank you. Let your word be done unto us. And let us make the choices along the way that get us to the place that you desire for us. Not our desires, but your desires. Put your desires in our heart. Give us right desires, for they will be a tree of life. They will bring us fulfillment. They will bring us joy and satisfaction. So, Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for everything that we need. It's in you. There is nothing we need that is not in you. And so, Father, we just come into agreement with you about the things we have need of. I thank you for a blessing over every family. I thank you for a blessing over every relationship. I thank you for healing over everybody that needs it. I thank you for revelation for those who need a word of knowledge or, or to know what to do about a certain situation. God, I thank you, Lord, for finances for those who are in lack. I thank you, Lord, that nothing is too hard for you. You are a good God, and you want to bless your children, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.